Uh, here's what I want you to hear. We're finishing our clarity series today. And uh, my one thing this morning is going to sound, um, I'll just say it. And it'll sound how it's going to sound. And it is the scripture, so it's not my words. Uh, it's coming out of the text that we're going to be in today in uh, Matthew 18. But my one thing is, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you may be thinking, this is about clarity. I don't think there's any better place of clarity than being exactly like Jesus asked his disciples to be so they could see and experience. So today we're going to close our series on clarity. And this week will be no less challenging. I have a few questions that I asked last week, and I think it's good as we ask as a church for you to do certain things like uh, read your Bible and pray and get someone, a partner with you that's going to help encourage you to um, stay the course is, and this is internal, you don't have to scream this out, um, but my first question is, how's it going? Is it going? Are you fighting for clarity? Because clarity is not just going to show up at your door one day and like, hey, this is what you should know. This is what you should do, and you're 100% like, yes, we're here. Clarity, as it relates to our journey with God, has to be fought for. It has to be worked towards. And so have you made changes that helped you focus on what God wants to do with you this year? Hopefully so. Uh, My plan for you today as we end clarity and jump into the rest of 2021 is not that you did something good for 20-some days, uh, but that you started patterns that hopefully will evade the rest of your year and not just this beginning part of it. So today we're going to open up into Matthew 18 and enter into a strong response to a dumb question. And if you're willing, I believe Jesus will speak some hard truths to us individually, not your neighbor, but to you, about what God needs to do in you today. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one that softens hearts. You are the one that that reaches in and removes hearts of stone and replaces them with hearts of flesh that have the ability to obey and follow you. So today, I pray that you would do that in us, that you would soften our sometimes calloused hearts to hear your word, be challenged by it, and be willing to change according to what you say to us. So Lord, I pray that you would remove The idea that discomfort can keep us from embracing and following you. So Lord, let your word speak truth to our hearts today that we have no way of not listening to, no way of ignoring. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start uh, in a similar statement um, that was said to Nicodemus. In John 3, verse 2. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, which we're going to deal with today because sometimes we think that, you know, we, we, we embrace and experience the kingdom of God because of our position, because of what we do, because of where we're born, what family we're in, what, um, how, how 
cleansed our life is. And this is the pinnacle. This is a guy who was doing everything in his power to live according to what he thought God was calling him to do. If in our minds, this would be the clearest, the person with the most clarity that they encounter in this day and age. And so he he sneaks in to talk to Jesus by the cover of night because he did not want others to know that he was coming. And so in verse 3, it says, This man, referring to Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which is a big statement. Just for him to say Rabbi is a, um, a title of honor. It, it's acknowledging that Jesus is just not some like sage that has some good words. This is, you know, he's lifting him up in his verbiage as a rabbi. He says, We know that you are a teacher Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, like, I like everybody else likes to be acknowledged. Like, hey, you're doing a great job. Like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's coming to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, you're awesome. Like, you wouldn't be able to do the things you do if you didn't come from God. We know that you're a teacher. Come from God. And Jesus completely ignores his praise. And deals, and this is what I think he does in the Word, he deals with his heart. He deals with what he doesn't, what he wants to ask, he's afraid to ask. And Jesus says to him, Jesus answered him, truly, truly. And anytime you see that in our English Bibles, it, it's like an exclamation mark. Like, you need to listen to this. Like, this is not that other words that Jesus speak aren't true, but he's like, hey, hey, Before he says, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, cannot see it. And it enters into the most awkward dialogue ever where Nicodemus, smart as he is, asks if he should climb back into the womb of his mother so he could be born again. I won't give any more than that. It was awkward. And Jesus tells him no one must be born of water, which is how we're all born. We're we're encased in this little pouch of water. And we have to be born of the Spirit. And so if we're not born of the Spirit, if we're not born again into that, we cannot see the kingdom. If we cannot see the kingdom, we cannot experience the kingdom. We cannot follow the kingdom. We cannot be a part of something that we can't see. And he's telling Nicodemus, That unless this happens, you're not going. And this is the guy who's leading everyone else to the kingdom. The Pharisee. See, this is the only way in. Even Nicodemus has to enter the kingdom not as as a religious ruler. Which sometimes we think they get the front row, that they get immediate access because of who they are. But as a spiritual baby, knowing little, bringing nothing, and needing all. It's really what we're getting at today. Before we jump into Matthew 18, I want to try to let, us, let you understand why the disciples asked the dumb question that they asked. So in chapter 17, this thing called the transfiguration happens. So if you, if, you, if you don't know this, um, Jesus had his favorites. So he had 12, but he had three. James, John, Peter. They got special treatment. They got to go where the others didn't. And one of those was the, 
that Jesus invited them up. He didn't say, hey, guys, you're getting ready to experience something awesome. He just said, hey, we're going to go up here. I don't know what he told the other ones to do, but they were left out. Maybe he sent them on a task. I've got something really important for you all to do. I need you all to do this. So they didn't know they were being left out. I don't know. So Jesus takes his three up to the mountain, and he starts glowing, literally. His clothes are as bright white as you can get, and it's at night. And Moses and Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. And the disciples are like, oh. I mean, like smoke are coming out of their ears. And Peter, Peter being Peter, is like, Jesus, I don't want to disturb this meeting of the minds, but we should set up tents and worship up here. Because clearly this is something special. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh. You know. No, Peter and God speaks. To them in a voice that says, this is my son. And Jesus tells them, so I don't know whether this happens or not. Jesus tells them, don't say anything about this until after the resurrection. I don't know if they came back down. (laughs) Have you ever known a truth that others don't know? I mean, you glow. (laughs) So I don't know if they walked back into the disciples like, Oh, no, 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 we just went up there. Had, we had a little snack on the ridge. You know, nothing happened. I, I don't know, but, but maybe this is why verse 1 of chapter 18 has this, like, this dumb question. Because in their minds, these three guys, which two of the three guys, their mother gets involved later. It's like, hey, Jesus, in your kingdom... In your kingdom, can my son... And he's like, oh my gosh. Because they thought that Jesus, still at this point, was going to set up an earthly kingdom. And they wanted to be people of power and influence in that earthly kingdom. And if anybody's going to think that they have something special, these three guys... I'm not saying it was the... I don't know which of these three guys, but I'm pretty sure... It was one of these three guys that asked the dumb question. I would probably say it was Peter, but I don't know. I mean, Peter learned his lesson, and maybe that's why James and John's mom got involved later. But we pick it up, and there's um, six verses that we're going to go in. Um, Verse 4, or 3 and 4, is is where I I feel like today we need to focus, and then we're going to finish with 5 and 6, and then we'll close. So verse 1, chapter 18. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, so they couldn't tell the other disciples about the transfiguration, but Jesus could tell the other disciples who the three of them was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus ignores this dumb question. Most of the dumb questions he kind of ignores and he teaches to the thing that they're trying to get at. So he didn't go, well, let me see. (laughs) I'd have played him out, uh, but I'm not Jesus. I mean, it would have been awkward. Like, you're idiots. I want you, I want the other, I want the other ones to learn that this is not what it's about. So instead of doing that, in verse 2, Jesus calls to him a child and put him in the midst of them. Now, some commentaries out of uh, another take, uh, not another take, but another 
um, one of the parallels of this encounter, um, believed because of a statement that was made that this was actually Peter's son. Now, whether it is or not, it's not important, but it plays into the narrative that I want to sell to you, if it is. And I do want you to know that as Jesus brings a child into the circle, in this culture, children occupied a very low position. They were a, a seen, not heard. You know, they, they, people of that day weren't going to the three-year-old for wisdom. They weren't going, I, I need to know, should I? I mean, it's, so just so you're thinking like three-year-olds were different back then than they are today. Um, and I don't know that he was a three-year-old, he was a child. But they weren't looking for them. And then he says, he brings the child into their midst, and he says this. Truly, I say to you, unless you, and this is the disciples that he picked. This wasn't him speaking to the masses. This is his chosen guys. Unless you turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's getting ready to lay out some pretty harsh not harsh, some pretty strong teaching on forgiveness and dealing with um, the going after the 99. He's going to talk in ni- at the beginning of 19 about divorce, and I think at the end of that conversation, Peter's like, who can be saved? I'd be like, I don't know. He's going to tell them all these things, so he, he says this to them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, and whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Bombshell. Now, if this was Peter's son, which it, you know, it doesn't matter whether it is or not, could you imagine Peter, who maybe asked the question of who's the greatest, has Jesus bring his child into the circle and so and says, become like this, and you'll enter the kingdom? I don't know, it just hit me as I was reading that. I heard that in a commentary. I was like, ooh, that's good. Like, you think you're something, and then Jesus brings your child in and be like, you've got to be like this. So in answer, Jesus shows his disciples a little child. God is looking for people who will abandon their obsession for power, influence, and ambition. Instead, like children, they will simply love and trust their father. The implications of this are far-reaching, more than what I'm going to cover in this short period of time today. But I have some things that I believe... That children do well that if we would accommodate their behaviors, and this is not us becoming childish, it's becoming childlike. So don't get like, <laughs> like we're going to, you know, go crazy. See, where, where does this happen? Your salvation cannot be earned or purchased. We've seen this in Nicodemus. This was the religious guy that came to Jesus that did all of the things that should have been done. And Jesus is saying, unless you become like a child, unless you're born again, you don't even get to see the kingdom. See, holding high positions don't help. We get it from Jesus' finished work on the cross. Do Do you understand that? I think so many of us live in this place that we're trying to earn his love and affection, which really pulls us away from his love and affection because we're trying to make him love us, love us instead of just being loved by him. It changes. We can do all the right things, but with the wrong motive and miss everything. 
And how do we receive that finished work? By becoming like a child. So I think four things, and like I said, there's implications outside of this. I'm not saying this is inclusive, but I think there are four things that children do that if we did them, our clarity of what God wants to do in and through us would be a whole lot better. Our lives would be a whole lot better, and uh, we'd get to enter into the things that God wants us to, which is His kingdom. The first thing that I think children do really well, and there's some of you in this room because you have children, and in the phase that your children are in, you'll be like, "Mm mm-mm. These are generalities, okay? Generalities. The first one is that children trust. This child that came over to Jesus, the children, and I understand if children have been hurt or things have happened, that may change, but like when they're learning and around a loving environment, they trust you implicitly. They will jump off high things into your arms, not caring about what the ground will feel like if they hit it because they trust that you're going to catch them. Now, if you miss them, the trust is gone. They're never jumping off that bunk bed again. But at their base, they trust. They're, they're just, they, they, they do. And this is the baseline for us in Jesus Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make path. Make, I'm sorry, I learned this in ESV, and I'm trying to not. I'm trying to read the ESV. And He will make straight your paths. Trust. There is no entrance into salvation with Jesus without trusting Him with it. I'm telling you, this is a thing, and I've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks and months, but like, there's been a lot of anxiety over the last year. I don't have to explain that, right? Between elections and um, COVID and just life in general, there, the anxiety's to a peak. And I, I feel personally, this is something that God keeps drawing me back to. And, and, and Paul, I mean Paul, uh, David does a great job in the Psalms when he's stressed out. And he's like, why have you forsaken me? When are you going to come back? And then he'll, he'll get to this point of going, but I trust you. Look, trust doesn't mean that Jesus fixes everything that's going on. Trust means that in spite of it, not looking like I want it to look, you're in charge. Trust is critical for us to enter. We cannot love Jesus without trusting him with our lives. We cannot do anything without trust. And children do it so well. The next thing is that children, and this was the one that I think some parents are going to be challenged by. Children are teachable. Parents are toddlers. They are learning. For the good or the bad, based on what we're doing. But children have, they, they're te- from the moment they start walking, they're like, I want to do more. They're figuring things out by themselves and by the leading. They'll watch someone do something and they'll be like, oh. You know why? Because they don't think, they, uh, they know that they don't know how to do things. They're not sitting here as adults like some of us in this room going, I've got this figured out. And where Jesus is going, I've got to unlearn you so that you can be teachable. But children are teachable. Are we? 
Like when we read those texts in the Bibles that challenge us and we go, ooh, is that really? Are we teachable enough to go, God, if God says this, this is what we should be doing. Because if we're not teachable, we, if we're not teachable, then we're definitely not trusting. Because we've got to trust to be in a position that we want to learn and we trust that the one that's telling us knows what he's talking about. The next thing is that children are humble. I don't know. Depending on your child situation right now, you're like, mine is not. Generalities. Children are usually pretty humble because they don't, they don't know. They're, they're looking for you to, to do the things that they don't know how to do because they're aware. Like, your, your four-year-old isn't going to go... Well, maybe they are. I don't know. You may have some exceptional four-year-olds. They're not going to go downstairs and make scrambled eggs and fry up um, some breakfast meat. They're, they're, you know, they're not because they don't know how to turn on the stove. And if they do, that's dangerous. Like, tell them to stop because they're going to burn down your house. But they're not going to go down and, and mix up the batter and make pancakes while the parents sit up in their bed. They understand why the ch- children come into your room and start jumping on the bed going, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, even though you want to lay in the bed because they don't know how to. They're humble enough to say, I want X, but I know that you're the source that that comes from, which is very tied to the teachable aspect. And here's the last thing that I think children do very well that we don't. This may be the most difficult. Children are fixed in the now. They aren't thinking about five years from now. They aren't thinking about their next promotion. They're not thinking about their retirement. They're not thinking about what school they're going to go to. They're not thinking about college. We're talking about little. They're not. They're fixed in the now because now is exciting for them. Like, have you ever seen a kid get something that they've never experienced before, whether it's a toy or a slime or whatever? They're fixed in this moment. You could be yelling at them. And I'm telling you what, like with technology nowadays, like they, I'm talking about no headphones on. You know they can hear you. They're so fixed in the moment that they don't hear you at all. Because in this, this moment is all that matters to them. And let me just tell you, clarity in life with Jesus is all about the now. Because the now is the only thing that you have. You cannot recoup then. Unless you got a DeLorean. For all those that haven't seen Back to the Future, I'm sorry. That was a reference. I'm old. Uh, you don't have a DeLorean, you can't fix the then, and you have no control over tomorrow. Matthew six thirty four. it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why is Jesus telling people this? Because all we do is we ruin today because of tomorrow. We ruin obedience today because of tomorrow. We ruin... The moment because of what may or may not happen tomorrow. And here Jesus is saying, They're not, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today. Fixed today. Jesus said, I'm the lamp into your feet. 
He didn't say, I'm the, you know, I'm the sun that comes up in the morning. So you can see every little detail. He just said, I'm the lamp. And so we just get fixed right now. How would our lives be different? How would your relationships be different if you could be fixed in the moment? And I know as adults, we have things that we have to deal with that are past this moment. But we have to, be, we have to constantly be coming back to this place of being fixed now. I ruin so many moments in our household because of later. I do. Most of the frustrations in our household is because I'm fixed on something else instead of the moment that's right there in front of me. <clears throat> he spent 40 years convincing his... Because this, this is a reference. He's saying, hey, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. And he spent 40 years with the people that left Egypt feeding them every day. Six days a week, had enough for the seventh day. Six days a week, I'm going to provide. Now, they weren't happy with getting the same thing over and over again, but God provided for them for 40 years so that he would be consistent in their understanding that he will provide. And they had to wait. They couldn't store because some of them didn't trust God, and so they, they, they scooped a little extra, more than they said, more than they were going to eat for tomorrow, and then tomorrow it's rotten. And he's like, hey, I'm going to provide for you today. <clears throat> and then in 5 and 6, it gets crazy. He said, whoever receives one such child, and we're not talking about children. He's not just talking about this child that's here. He's talking about his children. He said, for whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. People that receive his children, us, children of God, and we receive them because they're a child of God, we're receiving Jesus. We're entertaining Jesus. But whoever causes, and this is where it's crazy, and it gets a little crazy, said whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone. In this, you know, they, they, some of them were, all of them were unmanageable and would drown you if you were tied to it, okay? Some of them were obnoxiously big. But they were literally a round stone that they would use to roll over the grain so that it would pulverize it. And it was large. And he was saying, he was giving them a visual because the child is a visual. And I want you to visual that if you mess with my children, you cause them to sin, it would be better for you. Like, let's tie you to the stone that you cannot swim with and throw you into the deepest part of the water. That's terrifying. I, I don't know why I hear... Like, drowning scares the mess out of me. I saw a movie where somebody got trapped in a pool. There was like a glass. I think it was a James Bond movie or something. And the stain come up. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. As a pastor, I'm terrified standing up here preaching the word that I will miscommunicate something and cause one of you to sit. I mean, like, this is a serious text here. See, Jesus was laying down the framework of obedience to what he was about to teach. About leaving everything to go after the 99. About dealing with offenses when things happen. Like he tells you in Matthew 18 what to do when someone has an offense against you. You go to them. He has this whole thing laid out. And then he has this whole story about unforgiveness. Where this person comes to the king and he owes millions of dollars and, and the king's like no settling debts right now and he's like i don't have the money i'm throwing you and your family and your kids 
in jail until this debt can be paid. And he gets on his knees and he begs for forgiveness. The king gives it. He walks outside and sees someone that owes him piddle, a day's wage. And he, the guy's like, he does the same thing that he did. He humbles himself and he said, I'm, I don't have the money. Can you please give me some time so that I can do this? And he, he chokes him and throws him in jail. Well, other people see that this happened, knows what just happened with the king, and go to the king, and what happens? The person's thrown in the jail. And, and, and Jesus, in the story, says that this will happen for everyone that walks in unforgiveness. If you don't forgive your brother from your heart, I'm telling you, he's laying out because you cannot walk in forgiveness to things that happen in our world if you're not here. If you're not trusting God with it, if you're not teachable to allow God to deal with that, if you're not humble enough to say, God forgave me, which is what happened with this guy, I need to forgive others and be fixed in the moment. And so here's what I want to do. There's a, a, a prayer uh, in First Peter, which I think it's appropriate that we kind of hear a prayer from the guy who potentially asked the dumb question, heard the truth, and we see him through the rest of his life in ministry walk out that truth. Not perfectly, but walk out that truth. <clears throat> and then we're going to talk about what we do with this. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Right before that, in verse 5, we talked about a couple weeks ago, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because you trust him with your anxieties, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, which we spent a fair amount of time in Ephesians 6, not too long ago, talking about the armor. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your, brother, by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not going through what you're going through alone, meaning you're not the only one that's experiencing what you're experiencing. The enemy would love to isolate you and say, God doesn't love you because if God loved you, this wouldn't be happening. When the reality is, just like Peter is saying here, this is happening through the brotherhood. Verse 10, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's a couple questions, and then we're going to worship. Do you trust Jesus? Which is difficult. This isn't easy. This is you understand that Jesus had the same conversation with the Pharisee. Imagine how he received it. And we see, at least with Nicodemus, he was one of the ones that goes after Jesus' body to bury him. I mean, so there's a strong indication that he is turned this and we see him have this conversation with his disciples it was not easy we see the struggle that peter and the rest of the disciples went through after their dreams of an earthly kingdom end 
in the beginning or the birth of the church starts. But do you trust Jesus with what's going on with you right now? I'm going to be honest because it's inside your head that you're answering this. It's not external. You don't have to say anything out loud. But do you trust him? And if you don't trust him, why not? History? Because you feel like he's not done what he should have done. What's the reason? Because to be fixed in this place, for us to have the availability to enter into the kingdom of God, which is his home, we have to trust Jesus. Here's the next question. Are you humble enough to be teachable? Honestly, if you're sitting here and if you think you've got everything figured out, you're wrong. I'm humble enough to say I don't have it all figured out. And the, 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 the stuff that we go through, we've got to be humble enough to be taught. Because if you have this strong position that, that I know everything, I'm doing every, I, I am the one person who's got everything right, you'll never be humble enough for the time that God's ready to change you. And the last question, are you fixed in the now? I might invite our worship team to come back, back up. I don't know who said this. Most things that I say that sound really good I got from someone else. I've heard it in a sermon. I've read it in a book. But when is the only time that miracles can happen? Right now. I alluded to this a second ago when we were talking about fixed in the now. A miracle didn't happen. If you're looking for it right now, it didn't happen already. So you can't look to the past for that miracle to happen. And all you can do is hope for what will happen in the future, but there's no guarantee that you'll even have tomorrow. But the only place that you have the availability for a miracle is right now. And you may be in this room, hardened by the experience of your life. You love Jesus, you want to serve Jesus, but you're hardened by what's going on. And you may need today... To get fixed in the now and say, God, I need you to help me with this calloused heart that's been caused by whatever, for whatever reason. Or you may be in this room going, I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm at a place to trust Jesus fully. And that's all right. It's not something ever you should take or enter into lightly. Because I don't believe that Jesus was using this illustration that you've got to become a child and then you, you're not a child anymore. I, I, I believe to, to see the kingdom, to enter into the kingdom, we've got to exist in this place of being a child. Trusting God, being humble enough to be taught by Him and being fixed in the now. So I, I don't know what you need today. I could speculate and I could say some things that may or may not hit you where you need Jesus today. But here, here's the beauty. The presence of the living God is here. And you can, right now, in this moment, have access. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there, I'm here, in this room. And you could, in this moment, 
during worship, say, God, I need you. I need you for today, right now in this moment. And, and maybe there's some such a deep hurt in you that you need healing there. And I encourage you to invite Jesus into that pain. Say, God, I, I need you. Because there's nothing in this world that's going to fix what's broken inside of you outside of Jesus. There isn't. If the election would have been different, it wouldn't have fixed what's broken inside of you. If there was no COVID right now, it wouldn't fix what's broken inside of you. And so right now you have an opportunity while we worship to step a little bit further into saying, I trust you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know positionally where every single person here in this room is. And right now we invite you. I ask that your power and your presence would be felt in the center of that brokenness. And Lord, I pray that you would bring healing now. Lord, that you would give us the boldness to be people who trust you, who humble ourselves and learn from you and get fixed in the now. So Lord, lead us, guide us, and let your spirit bring life to us today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.